Oh, you weren't here. Uh, we can even edit this out with technology. Maybe not. If someone's listening to this in the future, not. Uh, this is so that if someone misses, because we're going all the way through the whole Bible, if someone misses a week and they want to really know what was going on in Numbers or Judges, they can listen back for that. Question, George? What's patriarchs? We're going to talk about that tonight. Basically, we're going to talk about that tonight. Before we do, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the long line of godly men and women you have used to bring about your Savior, Jesus, to uh, keep the faith, to maintain your church against uh, wicked men who would assault it and, and tear it down. We thank you for, uh, most importantly, your sovereign care for your people, for your church, um, even using wicked men, wicked women, wicked circumstances to bring about good and your glory. Help us to see how you do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Raise your hand. It's very hot in here. So raise your hand. If you're sweating a little bit, show your pit stains. If, if you've used a pair of binoculars before. Uh, binoculars help you see something very far away, but if you've ever used a pair, uh, you know that you have to focus them, adjust them first. It doesn't work like a video game where you click a button and all of a sudden you can see right where you were looking. Uh, if you see something in the distance, let's say a bird or a, a hawk, see a cool hawk in the distance, and put binoculars up to your eyes, the hawk's probably going to be really fuzzy, right? So what do you have to do? Yeah, you have to spin that little knob and the middle of it and focus the lenses. It's not the hawk that's fuzzy. Uh, it's the image in your eye that's fuzzy. You need to adjust the binoculars so that you can see the same hawk you've been looking at with new clarity. So our goal tonight isn't to find something new in the Bible. It's to see something more clearly. Every week, we all get to hear the gospel faith, faithfully preached, prayed, and sung on Sundays and on Wednesdays. We, every week, week in, week out, hear about Jesus Christ died, buried, raised for sinners like you and me. That uh, he bears the guilt of his people and his people receive his righteousness by faith and by faith alone. That's something you hear every week. We're not searching for something new in the Bible. We're seeking to see that with more and more clarity. So as we study the Bible as one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ, as we're studying the Bible as one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ, our goal isn't to learn a whole new gospel, but to see it more and more clearly. As we study the Old Testament in particular, we learn about the God of that gospel, who he is, how he works, and throughout the Old Testament, he gives us promises and patterns to help us better understand his saving work in Christ. So last week, we saw the promise that God made to overcome sin and Satan through the offspring of the woman. After studying the creation of all things, and specifically 
the creation of humanity, made in God's image, made as man and woman, we saw that Adam and Eve plunged us into sin. But God graciously promised to deliver his people from that sin. And we all know that that happens in Jesus. And that's just the first three chapters of the whole Bible. We went really slow to lay a foundation to help us see who God is, who we are, what our situation as image bearers who have sinned against God is. But now we're going to pick up the pace. So today, we're going to cover the rest of Genesis. We took three weeks to go through the first three chapters. Now we're going to cover chapter 4 through 50 in one day. Uh, the rest of Genesis gives us promises and patterns that will help us focus our binoculars and polish the lenses through which we'll see Jesus. One of the ways Genesis does that is by telling stories. It's actually the main way Genesis does that. We're going to look at the stories of five of those people, five patriarchs, which, as Augie said, means fathers of the faith. It just means fathers of the faith. Uh, it means, in one sense, the physical ancestors of Jesus. That's who we're going to be studying. Each patriarch will show us how God moves forward to bring Jesus into the world. And each patriarch will also give us a picture that points to Jesus. So through the patriarchs, physically, God will save and preserve his people that will bring about the physical offspring, Jesus Christ. Through those same patriarchs, God also gives us pictures of Jesus. So we're going to look at five tonight. I know it's hot. We'll get through it, and then we'll find somewhere cool. Some fans in here. <laughs> Daniel, get us some fans in here. I think we're fanless. We're just going to have to endure this Texas heat. Uh, the f we'll make it. The first patriarch. We'll try and speed through. The first patriarch we're going to look at uh, is Noah. And in Noah, we'll see that God saves through judgment. In Noah, we'll see that God saves through judgment. Uh, listen to Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So after the fall, sin is running rampant through the world. Everyone has turned away from God. There's only one man and his family, Noah. Only Noah and his family who have kept believing in God and believing in the promise that God made to Eve that her offspring would overcome the evil one. And we all know what happens next. God tells Noah to build an ark. God floods the world, kills every person every land animal, every bird, every creeping thing, as we just heard, everything on the earth, except for Noah and his family. But God, uh, so God wipes out everything. Um, all of humanity justly deserved that punishment. All sinned against God. God could have rightly ended the world right there. But God had already made a promise. And God never goes back on his promises. 
God made a promise. God never goes back on his promises. His promise wasn't that God would wipe evil out. It was that the woman's offspring would overcome evil. Not that he would wipe it out, but he would overcome it in the woman's offspring. The human race had to go on because of God's earlier promise. And it goes on through one man right now, Noah. So what do we learn about God through this story? Uh, we can learn a lot, but one major takeaway from uh, we learn about God is that God saves people through judgment. God saves people through judgment. God glorifies himself by delivering one man and his family through a judgment that everyone deserves in this story. God always works this way. God still glorifies himself by saving people through judgment. He saves people today just as he always has by saving them through the judgment he poured out on Jesus. Jesus is the greater Noah. Jesus is the one man who lives through the judgment of God, bearing God's wrath so that his family might be saved. Jesus is kind of like the ark that safely delivers us from the wrath that we deserve. Because like all the people in Noah's time, uh, we too have evil hearts. This is good news for you and me, that God saves people through judgment. It's good news that God saves people through judgment because we're deserving of judgment. Are you tempted to look at God's judgment as overly severe? Are you tempted to look at God's judgment as overly severe? If you are, instead try looking at it from a different angle. Look at saving people from judgment as overly kind. It's much more kind than you and I deserve. So that's Noah. Uh, we saw Noah that God saves through judgment. And the second person we'll look at is Abraham. In Abraham, we'll see that God saves through faith. God saves by faith. Abraham's one of Noah's descendants. We're all one of Noah's descendants. And Abraham's one of Noah's descendants. And uh, again, God chooses one man from the whole world to bring about his salvation. God chooses one man and makes promises to him. Yes, George? Why do they have to be men? Why do they have to be men? God, in this case, has chosen men. God chooses and uses women in several other times and places in the Bible. He even uses Abraham's wife. Uh, but the central characters in these stories that we're looking at tonight are men. a great question. So let's see uh, what promises God makes to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make you your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor, uh, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then later on, a few chapters later, it says, And when Abraham heard this, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. God promises to make a great nation from Abraham. And that just means he's going to give Abraham a ton of great, 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 great grandchildren. 
that great nation is Israel. And out of Israel comes Jesus, the Savior. So Abraham is an ancestor of Jesus. That's one of God's promises to him. And that connects to the second promise. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth, not just your family, not just your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What does this mean? What does he mean when he says that all the families of the earth shall be blessed? Paul tells us. Paul gives us an answer. We have an apostle's answer in Galatians 3. This is what Paul says. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So Paul's saying it's not physical descendants that are the true sons of Abraham, but those who have faith are the true sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham believed God, and God counted that as righteousness. Abraham was not a perfectly righteous man. Abraham was a sinner, just like you and me. God looks at sinners who believe in his promises as though they were perfectly righteous. That's what it means when God says he counted it to him as righteousness. And God still works in that very same way. God's never based someone's salvation on how good that person is, on how many good works you've done or on something you've had to earn yourself. God saves people who believe in him and his promises. And he's promised to give you Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness if you believe in him. So if you quit trusting in your own goodness, your own self-righteousness, and stand on Jesus' righteousness alone, you will be saved in the same exact way that Abraham was saved. Here's a test. Here's a test for you to see if you have any self-righteous tendencies. And so that would be the opposite of the kind of other righteousness you're looking for for salvation. If you have self-righteous tendencies, here's something you might do. Do you compare yourself to others and try to prove your, to yourself or to your friends that you're better than others? Just think about that in your heart when you're interacting with others. Do you tend to compare yourself when you walk into a room and try to find ways that you're better than other people? That might be an indication of some sort of self-righteousness in your heart. There's no good work that you can do to earn God's promises. There's nothing you can do to earn forgiveness. So reject that kind of self-righteousness and trust fully in Jesus alone. So that's Abraham. We have Noah, Abraham. Number three is Isaac. Isaac. And in Isaac, we're going to see that God demands a sacrifice. God demands a sacrifice. So after Abraham... The next person in the, the genealogy that leads to Jesus is Isaac. Isaac's Abraham's son, the son that God promised to Abraham, and the son through whom God promises to bring about the whole Jewish nation, and eventually Jesus. Then God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, to cut his throat and burn him as a burnt offering. This is a test of Abraham's faith. Will Abraham believe everything God tells him to do? Will Abraham believe that God will even rise, raise Isaac from the dead? 
so that he'll be able to have sons and daughters and fulfill that promise God made to him? Well, if you trust God like Abraham did, you will also face trials that test your faith. You probably won't face trials that look like trying, being asked to sacrifice one of your children. Uh, but you will be asked to sacrifice other things. Popularity, money, relationships. We'll all face choices and be asked to do things that God's word commands that we don't really want to do. The choices we make, especially in those situations, reflect our faith. The choices don't earn us any righteousness. Remember, we just said we cannot earn a righteousness before God. Those choices don't earn us righteousness, but they reflect or reveal our faith. Just like Abraham's choice to obey God and offer Isaac revealed his faith and the kind of faith that he has. So Abraham is up on this mountain, about to slaughter his own son, trusting that God will raise him from the dead. But God steps in and saves Isaac. He provides a ram who's caught in a bush and allows Abraham to sacrifice that ram in the place of his son. This shows us that God demands a sacrifice and will accept a substitute. This shows us that God demands a sacrifice and will accept a substitute. Do you see the patterns that God is setting up this early in the Bible that eventually point to Christ? Jesus is our substitute sacrifice. Jesus dies in the place of guilty sinners. That's good news because it's the only way we can have our debt paid. Each time we sin, we rack up a debt to God. It's kind of like, does anybody have a swear jar at home? Has anyone heard of a swear jar? Yeah. You put a dollar in if you swear. Maybe your family does something different. You break a rule, you put a dollar in. That's kind of what it's like when we continue to sin against God. We're racking up this debt. But it's a debt that we can never repay. Only by trusting in the perfect payment, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, can we have our debt fully paid, fully canceled, so that all sin, past, present sin you're currently struggling, struggling with, and even the future sins that you'll commit, fully paid, erased. Number four, Jacob. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. After Isaac, the next patriarch, the next father in the line of Jesus is Jacob. Jacob's a twin. Isaac has two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. Jacob's actually the younger one, the younger of the two twins. Jacob's also a scoundrel. Jacob's rotten. He lies, he, uh, he steals his brother's inheritance, he tricks his family over and over. Jacob's just kind of a rotten scoundrel. But it's Jacob who God chooses, not Esau, to bless and to make the father of the Jewish people. He changes his name to Israel. So Jacob is Israel. He changes his name to Israel and promises, just like he promised his grandfather Abram, to make a great nation out of him. This teaches us that God is a choosing God. God is a choosing God. 
and he chooses based on his own will. He doesn't choose based on who he foresees will be worthy. He doesn't choose based on who he foresees will be a good person. He actually often chooses the weak, the sinful, the outcasts to use, to save, to bless, because it's through those very people that God shows his great strength and his great grace. God saves based on his own choice. That's a very, very good thing for you and for me. Because like Jacob, we are rotten scoundrels. Who here hasn't been dishonest with your family? Who hasn't been selfish and greedy like Jacob has? If God chose based on who he saw would be good, we'd all be in big, big trouble because none of us are good. Because God chooses based on his own kind will, we have hope. And God's chosen to allow you to be sitting here tonight to hear his word, to hear his call to repent and believe Jesus. That's a tremendous privilege. Not only tonight, but week in and week out, but sitting in your homes doing family worship. That is a tremendous privilege that God has freely chosen to put you in that situation. What a blessing. Fifth and finally, the last guy we'll look at tonight is Joseph. Joseph. In Joseph, we see that God brings good through evil. God brings good through evil. How do you spell that, Coach? Joseph? J-O? J-O-S-E-P-H-L-O. Yep. Just, just the P-H. Joseph. That's pretty good, though. Joseph uh, is one of uh, Jacob's sons. And he gets thrown in a pit by his brothers and sold to sla- into slavery. <laughs> Joseph's brothers hate him and plan to kill him. But the last minute decided that it, uh, it would be better for them to make money off of this instead of just killing their brother. Why don't we make some money, sell him into slavery? Uh, so Jacob ends up as a slave in Egypt. Or Joseph, excuse me. Joseph ends up as a slave in Egypt. And he gets thrown into, there, things just get worse. He gets thrown into prison then. He's falsely accused of a crime. He's about in the lowest place that he can be. He's been betrayed by his brothers, separated from his, his parents, his family. He's been taken out of the promised land. Now he's sitting in a prison in Egypt. But then through God's kindness and his providence, through several events, Joseph works his way up out of the ranks, uh, out of prison, up into the Egyptian government, all the way to basically being in charge of everything right under Pharaoh. Pharaoh basically says, Joseph, God has blessed you with wisdom. Uh, I'm going to go enjoy being Pharaoh. You take care of this government stuff. I don't want to deal with that. So Joseph does. And God shows Joseph that there will be seven years of famine. Seven years of famine. So he has seven years until then, and he stores up a ton of food in those first seven years uh, to prepare for the next seven years of famine. So then Joseph's brothers, back up in the promised land, come down to Egypt because they're starving from the famine to buy food. 
but they don't res- recognize Joseph. He was just a boy when they sold him into slavery. Now he's a grown man. Uh, eventually, so they come before him. Uh, a bunch of events happen. Joseph's kind of messing with them, testing them, and eventually he does, he does this all to lead up to a big reveal, and he reveals who he is. Uh, he tells them he's his brother. He tells them to come back down to Egypt and be saved from the famine. So God saves the line of, that goes from Abraham, from Noah to Abraham, all the way to Jesus, once again, in this miraculous way. Joseph himself says, God sent me before you, he's saying this to his brothers, God sent me before you for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you, for you many survivors. The brothers are afraid that Joseph will want revenge for the evil things that they've done to him. But Joseph trusts in God. He reminds his brothers of God's perfect rule over their lives. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In Joseph, God gives us a picture of great good resulting from an evil deed. And that's another picture of Jesus. There's never been a more evil deed than putting Jesus, the only innocent man that's ever walked the earth, to death on the cross. But God planned that deed. What the people who crucified Jesus meant for evil, God meant for good. The apostle Peter is preaching to the crowd, the very crowd that cried out for Jesus' death. The apostle Peter says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Did you catch that? Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There's never been a more evil deed than Jesus' crucifixion. And there's never been a more loving, gracious, and good deed than it either. What the crowd meant for evil, God meant for for good. God wasn't caught off guard by the crucifixion. It was his plan. God isn't caught off guard by the evil or the wrong that's been done to you. God can make great good come out of great evil. Can you see the bad things that have happened to you as good? In order to do that, you have to see those events, those things that have happened to you with the eyes of faith. You have to see them with eyes that have looked to Christ on the cross. You have to see them with eyes that look to him who's resurrected, seated at the right hand of God, ruling over all things with perfect justice and perfect love. You need eyes of faith. Let's pray for those eyes of faith. Father God, thank you for your word, for what you've revealed to us, for these deep, deep truths that we've sprinted through tonight. Lord, I pray that through studying your word, through studying how you work, we would better know who you are. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would grant faith, the faith required to see how you work in 
history, how you've worked in Christ, and how you work in each one of our lives. Grant us the faith to see those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if it's still...